Welcome, everybody, to Who's Your Band? I'm your host, Jeffrey Paul. I'm joined by Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? I am I'm wonderful, Jeffrey. I'm still coming off the high of Thursday night, uh, which we'll get into. Yeah, and, let's uh, take a second for that. Oh, before, before, I, we I've, got been, I've been chomping at the bit for like four <laughs> days to talk about this. Oh, listen, since you've gone to this, I, I've been waiting. To, 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 I've been trying to avoid you because I don't want to talk about it, you know, without doing this on the show. I but actually be- prefer when you avoid me. <laughs> I know you do. Okay. So be- but before we uh, get into that, I just want to just let, you know, the uh, viewers, listeners uh, know uh, our summer schedule. Um, okay. We, you know, Because we've been releasing these uh, these episodes, uh, you know, a little far apart. We used to do it every week. Um, but now because of the summer, because uh, I've been on the road a lot. You you do shows uh, on the road. You're going to concerts. I mean, and summertime, you know, things happen. Sure. So we've been releasing shows a little further apart. So, uh, you know, everything is cool. We're just we're just spacing out the shows. And by the time uh, middle of August comes around, we'll be back to like pretty much a normal schedule. Yeah, I agree. Okay? I agree. It's like the summers kind of dip off for everything. You know, you're going really hard as far as comedy goes in the summertime. I tend to like drift off in the summertime and just enjoy the concerts a little bit more. Yeah, well, you know, it's like I'll I'll work these different resorts. I'll do these different rooms. I don't get a chance to do like uh, this week. I was uh, last weekend. I was in Gettysburg at the uh, Church of Satire, which is a great club, and I think you know you should you should be headlining there. It's a great great room, and it's and it's great to like when you're done with the shows on Friday and Saturday to spend Sunday there and tour the battlefields. Really interesting. A lot. A lot to see, a lot to learn. And uh, then I came home. I did a, a Spectrum stand-up comedy showcase. I saw uh, that. that. Yeah. And then I was out on the road the next day in Springfield, uh, Massachusetts. And during the day, I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame, which was which was a lot of fun. I brought my son with me. So we had a great time. And um, yeah, so uh, I, I come home this week. I'm in the city a little bit. Then I'm back out in Lancaster uh, over the weekend. But um, that's but that's the schedule. And that's so, folks, so that's what we're doing with spacing things out a little bit, because you, know, you can see we're both kind of like uh, busy over the summer. But Sean had a great Thursday night. Sean, tell the folks what you saw. Jeffrey, uh, first of all, uh, I, I wasn't a common person who was sitting in a normal <laughs> seat. I was sitting in a suite which was beautiful with my uh, cousin, who is one of my dearest friends in the world. She's like my big sister. Did your wife go with you? No, no, no. Just me and my cousin and my cousin Tara. It was a great time. Uh, we went to see New Kids on the Block with En Vogue, Salt and Pepper, and Rick Astley. Salt and Pepper? Salt and Pepper. Let me just pepper. say one thing. Salt looks like she ate a lot of sausage and peppers. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I will tell you the thing I liked the most about the show. It's something I never saw before. Uh, so about eight to eight o'clock, the DJ comes out. It's the guys from Naughty by Nature. Okay. So they're doing a DJ set, doing the little clips of songs and everybody's dancing, blah, blah, blah. So eight twenty starts, the lights go out and new kids come right out. So I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird. I didn't understand why they were doing that. They did five songs. Yeah, was one, it all, all the original members. Everybody's or? original. Yeah. The only okay. person that was not original, there was uh, one from in Vogue that's not in the group anymore. And then Spinderella from Salt and Pepper is not in the group anymore. No, no Spinderella. No Spinderella. No, it was oh, hard that's to not really Salt and Pepper, is it? Well, it's Salt and Pepper was there. You know what I mean? So, no uh, so new but, kids. But all, new. all the original uh, yes. new kids? All the original new kids. So five hmm. songs, they, they start. I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. They I don't opened the show? Do. Yeah, if you'd stop fucking cutting me off, I could explain I have a lot to you. To ask on this, Sean. All right, so let yeah, me talk. So they do five songs. Walk off, and Vogue comes out and does two songs. Walks off. Rick Astley comes out, does two songs. Walks off. New kids come back, do four songs. Walk. Hold off. on a second. Stop. 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 Yeah. Rick Astley. Yes, he has three major hits. Yeah, he did all three of them. Okay. Um, is there a band? No, it's all to track, which is why oh, they're I, I able to take this. No, no, which is why they're able to do, you know, to go off and come back, go off and come back. Uh, Salt and Pepper comes it out. Could have been a house zone. band. No, it was it was perfect the way it was. You could tell that they they really did their time, uh, synced up timing with everything. It was great. How did uh, it? How did Rick Astley sound to you? He was the best of the whole night. Of course, he was a very interesting guy where I think he was 27 years old and he retired 
because he just kind of got burnt out from the music business at such a young age. But he, you know, he was phenomenal back in the day. He, he's so good day. that what they did was, uh, you know, obviously he does Together Forever, Never Gonna Give You Up and Cry For Help. It's some other song I forgot what oh, he, he did. Um, it's going to take a strong, strong man. Something like that. Uh, it's a great and, song. Uh, I love it. The encore was Rick Astley also doing Never Gonna Give You Up again with everybody coming on stage and singing it. Which I thought was awesome considering the fact that it's probably the biggest song out of all four of those bands that are on the bill. Are they bands? Artists. Is in, is in Vogue a band? They're an, are, they're an, art, they're an artistic oh, group. Like the Supremes. Were they a band or were they a girl group? They're, they're a group. group. They're a group. group. They're not a band. I'm not on yet. We're going to get to our guest. Our guest is yeah, chomping I wanna, at I want to introduce him. I want to introduce him okay. tonight. So not <laughs> no, only. Okay, let's bring him in because we let's continue this conversation with our guest. Yes. Yes. So not only uh, is a close personal friend of mine, number one, which uh, I wouldn't brag about if I were him. Uh, he is also the morning DJ at WKNL uh, 100.9 in Connecticut, which is a great station. I was uh, very happy to help him one time and jump on the air for a few minutes. Uh, he also has an amazing TikTok channel, which, again, I am not a TikToker by any means necessary, but he has a very nice following on TikTok doing a music show. Uh, my good friend, Franco Carafano. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a great you know, time. What surprised me, though, I saw you post that this is one of your, your favorite hour of the week. And yeah. to have me on it, it's not going to make it your favorite hour. No, it is. You know, why why you pick me? <laughs> I picked you because, first of all, I've wanted to have you on for a long time. And whether you believe that or not is another story. I like talking to people who love music. Now, we used to have um, a talent coordinator that sometimes would book the very worst guests you could ever imagine. He would get us some great guests. Don't get me wrong. Like we had Bobby, he got us by like Bobby Rydell and, you know, some great old, you know, uh, Billy Vera. But then he would get us like a chef. Who wasn't really into music. Who didn't like music. Right. So it was kind of weird. So I like to have people on who have um, a passion for music. And even if it's just for one band, I don't mind that, you know, but you are all, well, no, you're probably more, intelligent with music than I am. And that's uh, sure, surely because you're so much older than me. That's the only reason why. <laughs> I did want to, uh, not to change subjects, but uh, New London, Connecticut, our claim was uh, Dawn from En Vogue was from New London, Connecticut. She was in, in the vocal group early. Oh, okay. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. Dawn Robinson was from New London. Very cool. Now, when yeah. did you actually break into radio? Like, was this like your, <laughs> your goal and dream in life when you were- After fire was invented. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I wanted to be on the radio since about back then we called it junior high school. It wasn't middle school. So like around seventh or eighth grade, okay. I decided I wanted to do radio. And um, uh, I ended up going to broadcasting school my junior year of high school. Connecticut was, School of Broadcasting? I did. I did. I went there. Um, that was in... Uh, well, I graduated. So 1977, I went to uh, broadcasting school wow, on, I was on the weekends. Yeah, I was but one. At the time, I was like really into rock music, like album rock music. So I was listening to WPLR, which was the monster. Back then it was called album rock format. Exactly. Um, and but I also uh, not as eclectic as you, but I was the kid who went to see Led Zeppelin but also liked listening to the Carpenters. So I had a very wide range of what I liked. But what I knew was because of my personality, my energy, I wasn't going to be a very good rock jock. I, I needed to be on a station with energy. So I really started listening to the top 40 DJs, Dan Ingram uh, mainly. And you must be familiar with Dan Ingram being yep. from. Uh, I do. Right. Uh, and I think Ingram single-handedly is responsible for most of the DJs my age that went into radio. We were like, wow. Um, so I started hanging out at a radio station in New Haven, and I didn't know at the time that I was witnessing amazing radio. It was called 13 Waves, WABZ. It was one of the last top 40 AM radio stations. And I went in there, and they took me under their wing, and I was like their intern, you know? Um, uh, and that's how I broke in. So my first actual on-air job was in 1978. When I was in high school, I was doing overnights at a radio station in Waterbury. I lived in West Haven. So it was like a 40 minute drive. And then I would leave the radio station and go right to school. 
during my senior year. Wow, that's cool. You were in high school? I was in high school when I was on the air, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's where I started. I started at WWCO in Waterbury. Um, you were getting paid? Yeah. Awesome. I didn't that's know a hell of a That's a hell of a job for a high school kid. Yeah, high school senior, yeah. yeah. Did all the but girls get, like you? Huh? Did all the girls like you? You had to be I like a little so. Did all the girls like you? Had to be oh, a little yeah, bit they of a, me. Sure, the, you know, you're they, a celebrity. Right here. <laughs> no, it was more for uh, for me. It was just the fact that I couldn't believe I was on the radio. You know, um, and that was the I did the overnight shift there at WWCO. So that was like my first experience. Um, and from that, I moved on. I never really, I never went out of the state. I never, I wasn't one of those guys that worked at a million radio stations either. You know, because I was at one radio. I was at one radio station for 25 years. Wow. Q105 and Rye. That's very, that's very uh, uncommon. Because a lot of times it, you're it, bouncing around from New York to Chicago to LA and it, then back to is. New York. And I, uh, I had those aspirations of being the night guy in Z100 or going to LA or whatever. But, you know, I had a family. And when I got the job at Q, I kept getting promoted. So I, I started as music director. At one point, I was general manager. So I had gone, you know, that whole length of, of the gamut there. Were you still yeah. on the air? I'm on the air. I do mornings. Uh, my, it's an 80s station. Yeah, right, oh, but yeah. Not, I was on the air when I was GM. Yeah. Okay. Right. right. Because sometimes, you know, like, you know, if you saw the Stern movie, remember, he wanted to break in his DJ and they he starts the DJ doesn't work out very well. And he winds up uh, becoming the general manager, but he really wanted to be on the air. Yeah. No, it's really hard. Like I was GM and morning guy for a while, but it's, you can't be good at both. You can't be great at both. It's impossible. Right. It's just like being a comic or being a booker. You can't be both. You can't be both, which is why if you've seen my comedy, I chose booking. I have <laughs> seen your comedy and that's why you're a yeah. booker. <laughs> but, you know Frank, hold on a second. Let's go back to Sean Morton. Okay. Cause we want to bring you in for this. Let's go back to him. You know, you, how long do you know Sean? Sean, uh, four or five years, probably. Four or five years. Okay, so you you met Sean, you've seen Sean, you spoke to Sean. Sean is is tattooed up, up and down his arms. That he looks like he can be in Alien, Amphly, or Amphom. He could be he could be in Pantera. He could be in any one of these bands. He could be in Soulfly. Okay, but he goes Thursday night to see New Kids on the Block. In Vogue, Rick Astley and 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 Salt and Peppa. Okay, God forbid I forget them. Okay, so and and he's not he's not just excited for this. He's over the top. Like he's Mm -hmm. he's 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 excited. So let's. So what what do you what do you you think? What do you make of Sean? Go, you know this 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 guy who went there wearing a Motley Crue shirt. I did. Okay, I'm following. I was following this whole saga. Okay, and he goes and he's sitting in his suite and he goes to see new kids on the block. Sean is somebody who has an incredible passion for music, and it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not surprised he was at the new kid show at all. Doesn't surprise me at all. Would you have gone? No. <laughs> so I'll explain to you something. All right. I'm going to get a little personal here. And this is something that I don't want to bring the show down. Okay. But in December of 1988, two days after Christmas, my grandmother passed away. And then that was when I really dove headfirst into music. Cause that was kind of like, you know, they didn't really do therapy for kids at that point in time, you know? So I dove into music. So now if I look at the, the, the passionate part of my music collection it's always between 1989 and 1992 for some reason that's like the era of like my favorite music and it's like you know there's other genres and time periods i like so keep in mind too jeff that when new kids on the block came out uh, i was in seventh or eighth grade so all the girls lost their minds over these people right so what's the one thing you should do should you go oh fuck that i don't want to listen to that you know and just stand with all the the dudes on the corner playing dodgeball or do you you say to the girls hey oh he he just froze look stuck with me it's a good point it's a great point so now what smart guys did when when the beatles were hot when the Right, they were the exactly. guys that love the Beatles. They had to hang out with the girls. Franco, so, now fast forward not- 35 years. Now, fast forward 35 years, I'm going to this new kids concert, and guess who's there? It's all the soccer moms who are my age. 
But you're married guy already. It doesn't matter about that. that. I'm just that, talking that about ship is passed. It's ship is passed. But I'm just saying, would you rather? All right. Would you rather go to a dream theater concert and stand there and look at all these nerds looking at John Petrucci's hands, how he's playing a solo, right? Right. And just looking around and seeing two chicks at the concert, okay? Or would you rather go to a new kids concert where you have 20,000 women there, 200 guys? Okay, let me let me answer that question. I, I know you go. Okay, and I'm going to bring you back to my high school days. I'm going to reveal something, all right? I remember being at a party. I was this guy. I was a guy who had long hair, and I used to play the drums in a band, and I was obsessed with Black Sabbath. And... It was right when it was about 1980 and Ozzy had left Sabbath and I didn't know what the new Sabbath album was going to be. And I remember being at a party and I'm talking to this girl and she's kind of digging me a little bit. But all I'm talking about is Ozzy and Black Sabbath. And then she just said to me, she goes, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, I mean, I didn't talk about anything. I wasn't trying to look. I was I was just like lamenting, like, what's this new Sabbath album going to be like? Is Ronnie James deal going to be any good? What's going to happen to Ozzy? Is he going to come out with anything good? This was before Blizzard of Oz came out that summer. And that's all I talked about. That's all I talked about was Ozzy. Right. And 70 years later, he's got a new album coming out in friggin September. It's great. The yeah. first song, the first release with um, it's hard. Year. It's horrible. You don't like it? It's horrible. Oh, he should idiot. never He's have so done this good. album. He should never have done this album. But anyway, continue. You know, as a programmer, when I, I programmed radio, it was a top 40 or CHR. Um, I remember when the Backstreet Boys came out, no one knew who they were. And we had them at a car dealership and they were singing a cappella into the intercom. I mean, that's what these people did to break. They would do whatever it took, you know, uh, in the early days. I like, them. I like them. Same for same for new kids, but no, I wouldn't have gone to. Uh, I mean, I'm planning of opportunity to go to new kids on the block. I live right near Mohegan Sun Arena, and as Sean knows, I'm able to get tickets. But mm -hmm. that's another conversation. Um, but that's just not a show I'd be interested in going to. I do like Rick Astley. Yeah, you know what it was? It's like I, I love to go to any show at this point, but I'm also going to shows now. Uh, one of my main things I'm doing is I'm trying to go to concerts where I don't know if the person's going to tour again. So like last week I went to New Kids on the Block. Next Saturday I'm going to see Elton John. The week after that I'm going to see Rob Zombie and Mudvayne and Static X and Power Man Five Thousand. And then the week after that I'm going to see Incubus. So my I'm all over the place when it comes to concerts. And then the week before week before New Kids I went to go see a, a band called the Mavericks. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Yeah, they're uh, they're like a Tejano uh, Tex-Mex kind of country rock band. So, yeah, I'm all over the gamut. And you know what, dude? This is how I think about it. We have went through. Uh, I, I was talking about this the other day. In our time frame, I still think the two biggest events that have happened are 9-11 and this pandemic. Absolutely. And, you know, coming out of this pandemic, you know, there's still people getting sick and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we are pretty much out of it at this point. Uh, you know, there was a point that I don't know if you ever go to a concert ever again. You know, it's it's just the truth. I never knew if I was gonna ever going to see my favorite bands ever again. And that to me is, is a devastating thing when you think about it. So I am jumping at the chance right now to see any concert that I possibly can that I want to go see. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you like certain bands or certain genres or whatever. Last year, my favorite concert of the year was Luke Combs. He's a country guy. It was the best show of the year, hands down. You know, and I'm not I'm a huge country guy, but I like a lot of it, you know, and I just I, I don't have a problem, you know, defending going to do kids on the block. I'll go. I'm going to go next year without question. I'm going back to see them again. You'll go see that. Really? I, yeah. I made a promise to my cousin that every time they come around, she never has to worry about asking her husband to take her to the concert. I will take her every single time. You know what you want? You're you're a motorcycle guy at a moped band concert. No, I'm just diverse. I'm a sweet boy who likes all kinds of music. You're not a sweet boy. Uh, my Franco will uh, agree with me. With that. I know that you have very eclectic taste. I was not surprised. Like I said, when, when I say you're going to New Kids, I'm like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah. See, he understands yeah. me, Jeff. This now, is a real fun. Have you seen Elton John before, though? No, you had I, to. I've never, never seen Elton John. John. Okay. No, which is why I bought the tickets. You have yeah. to see him. Yeah. Well, see back him. in the day, I, I, you know, when he was doing the tour with uh, Billy Joel, I, I worked that tour. I wasn't really that into, you know, and you know, face to face tour. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really that into it, but you know, growing older and you start listening and appreciating, of course, I'm going to go see it without question. I'm going to see it. I mean, think about it. I mean, and Franco, you could probably help us out with this is if this is really Elton John's last tour, and I believe it, it will be who, who's the next guy that picks up the torch. Who's the next Elton John. Like who's able to fill arenas like him. I have the answer, but I want to see what Franco's answer is. I have to really think about that. Uh, you go first. I don't know. I had to think about it. Ed Sheeran. I knew you were going to go there. Ed Sheeran. Does he I've have seen, the catalog of music? I, I don't without, know that he's next to John. No, no. I'm like, again, this is going to be 10, 15 years from now. I said this before, too. Um, I'm a huge David Bowie fan. I absolutely Thank idolize you. him. I have a gigantic David Bowie picture in my dining room. Uh, Harry Styles is the next David Bowie. I was going to say Harry Styles. I was going to say hands Harry down. Styles. He is hands down the next David Bowie. He's inspiring classic artists. He's, he's, he inspires this, uh, Stevie Nicks. Stevie he's amazing. By him. He is absolutely amazing. But uh, yeah, Ed Sheeran, without a question. And I saw him at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Now, have you been there, Franco? Big arena. It's kind of the TD arena in, in Boston. Okay. Um, it was just him with an acoustic guitar and his pedals and a loop machine. And when I tell you he had 20,000 people right in the palm of his hand for the entire show, I was blown away. And to this day, it's still one of the five best concerts I ever went to. So, yeah, I think he is definitely, once he incorporates a band. Does he have um, any hits? Oh, my God. He's he's probably the biggest hit maker behind Taylor Swift at this point, I would say. I'm not really up on the hits anymore, like being, being on an 80s radio station. It's kind of cool being on an 80s station because I'm playing the songs that I played when I had to pick whether or not they were hits back in the 80s when I was the program right. director. Um, so between that and it's on TikTok, I'm always doing either 60s, 70s, very rarely 80s. It's mostly 70s. Yeah. You know, so I don't um, I've asked you to, to send me uh, ideas of bands to listen to. And I want to I want to you know start broadening my horizons on the newer music. What I'm, I'm so going to do is next time I see you, I'm going to put a bunch of stuff on a DVD. Yeah, so that way. Cool. you know, I can't even introduce that. I call it my community. I introduce anything like that to my TikTok community. And it's going to be, well, you know, that's not James Taylor. You know, James Taylor was right. I made this. Like, like we're so stuck in our ways, uh, 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 old dinosaurs, you know, that they have no, it's like they won't listen to anything else. Yeah, I get you it. Know? So it's funny because yeah. I wanted to do a new music feature once a week on my TikTok, but I'd lose followers if I did that. Yeah, you have a great, a great uh, genre and a great market that you're appealing to, which I think is I think so aw- it's it's awesome. Well, yeah. It's really yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, but definitely Ed Sheeran, I would say. Um, I don't know if Harry Styles is there yet. I kind of see him going. Is, he, is Harry Styles a performer or is he also a songwriter? Songwriter. I know Ed, I know Ed Sheeran is a, is a songwriter. He's a musician, much like yeah. Elton John is. But, but is Harry Styles that? Yeah, he is, and he's also like the the has the pop culture thing too. Where like, time, like when we took uh, Kimberly's daughter, my stepdaughter Catherine, her and her friend, we drove them over. To, we got a Harry Styles tickets. And uh, she was like, everyone's going to be in bell bottoms. Everyone's going to have a scarf. And they do. They just, they go there all looking like Harry Styles, dressed like. It was almost, almost like like when Madonna, everybody dressed like Madonna. It was a whole yeah. pop culture thing. And, and that's what's going on with Harry Styles. Yeah, that or I would say Lady Gaga too. I would have to add Lady Gaga into that mix. I love her. She's fabulous. One of the best, best experiences of my life was going to Vegas to see her because she has the residency out there. Yeah, and cool. I caught two shows in a row on a Friday and Saturday. The one show was the uh, just her and the piano, and the second show was the full band. So, Jeff, what do you think of that? Uh, Sean all tattooed up with a Motley Crue shirt in Las Vegas going to Lady Gaga. Surprise you? No, because this is a guy who stood online and gushed when he got to meet uh, Mariah Carey. I did five so, hours in the cold. He loves Mariah Carey. Yeah, I do. So, I mean, you know, very little of Sean's music taste surprises me. I'm just, you know, but it's just like new kids on the block. You know, that, that took me back a little bit, but you know what I want to ask you, Franco, because you, you do go back a while. Um, two questions. What is your favorite era or decade? Let's put it that way. Your favorite decade of music. And what do you think the best year in music was out of that decade? Wow. That's tough. Um, we talk about that a lot. Um, 
I think the 70s was the best decade for music. And I'm kind of torn on the best year. And one way I think it's 72, which is where really kind of where the singer-songwriter era kind of replaced the Beatles. You know, uh, all that. that Carol King. Uh, Carol King, James and Taylor. Pa- all the comes King out that stuff. year. Yeah, I think there's something really magical about that year. But then what happened was it got too sleepy. The music right. got too sleepy. And then 75 came. Springsteen, Born to Run. That was a game changer. And Kiss. Um, so I, I so this, for me, it's the 70s, although I like the 80s because I, I played the 80s and I programmed during the 80s. And so many of the songs in the 80s would not have been hits if it hadn't been for MTV. Right. Uh, they broke a lot of the records. But to answer the question, I'm, I'm bouncing all over here. You know, I, if I were to say a decade, my favorite decade is the 70s. But Franco, what do you think about the year of 78 when you have Van Halen debut album, The Cars? Uh, you have, I think, uh, Aerosmith was big with, with the uh, bootleg album. I mean, there were, for me, 78 always like really stood out as, right. I, as I think maybe in that my top three favorite years of rock music. Right. And also disco was was going to be starting to fade out at that point. You know, right. yeah, you're coming right off Saturday Night Fever and all the disco one hit wonders. And they were kind of going in the rearview mirror. And then the 80s uh, became the game changer. But uh, yeah, 78 was a great album, uh, a, a great year for albums. I just did a piece on on the albums of 1978 on TikTok. What albums did you talk about? I'd have to look them up. I can't remember them. Sean knows I can't remember stuff. But, but you know, Van Halen's first album came out, like you said. Um, there was, a, you know, just like one after another. The Cars. I think 1991 is also a very solid year for music, too. If you look it's at 91. year for music. No, it's really not when you think about it, because um, just in that year alone, you have Nirvana's Nevermind. You have 10 by Pearl Jam. Uh, Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden, uh, both the Use Your Illusion records from Guns N' Roses, uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, The Low End Theory by A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, you have Primus debuts, which I, I can't stand Primus to begin with, but a lot of people. Yeah, I don't know why them. you say that. Oh, they're horrible. They're just, they're just horrible. disgusting. Um, Ozzy's No More Tears comes out. Uh, it's a, it's a great re- a great year for full albums for me. Right. The 90s, I will tell you, from a from programming a radio station standpoint, was a very challenging decade to program radio. And the reason being, well, you mentioned Nirvana in 91. And, you know, and of course, the Seattle sounds have started kind of I'm not saying they broke it, but they, they were the first ones to have a hit. They didn't they weren't the first ones to do it, but they're the first ones to have a hit. Who was the first uh, group to do? I would say like the Melvins or Mud Honey or was probably Green Tree or uh, Green River. Green River. Yeah. So River. Those, those kind of bands had that sound to begin they with. They didn't have hits though. No. But what happened with Top 40 Radio is um, you you had, you know, that hip hop on one side was just exploding monster. Yeah. And then you had the Seattle grunge, you know, alternative rock sound. And there was nothing in between to balance Top 40 Radio. That's where all the, that's where all the, um, you know, the, you know, the, we call them like, you know, waste songs that came in, but they were, you know, like Soundgarden, you know, songs, um, songs that could come in that could balance, not Soundgarden, but songs that could come in that could balance the playlist, the top 40, you know, the NSYNCs and stuff like that. That was a challenging time to program top 40 radio. I, am, I would imagine so. It's, it's very, uh, it's all over the place. It was, it was all over the road. That's this was is why, that was my high school era, you know, so this, that's this what is I'm like 91, Sean, okay, is because. Like Franco said, yeah, it introduces the grunge era. And mm-hmm. you know me, I was a big metal guy. So right. in 91, all of a sudden, goodbye to Skid Row and Judas Priest and Warrant and all these bands that were just like all over the place that, that were getting the end caps in record mm-hmm. stores and were on radio. All of a sudden, those bands were gone within yeah. like a six-month period. Yeah, overnight. And now, now all of a sudden, you had this whole influx of Seattle sound and that killed me because that was my that was my music. But go because back you're to one si- no, because you're one sided. See, I was also a one monster. Monster. yes. No, I, can, I can get into what he said about um, listening to Led Zeppelin and the Carpenters. I love the Carpenters. Of course you do. <laughs> you mean, why wouldn't he? Just That's hearing right. that makes me want to throw up. Why? See what I did there? See what I did there? <laughs> no, but you know what? He, he, he mentioned he mentioned all the hair bands. They all had they all had power ballads. Oh yeah, power ballad was conceived by Richard. Except Carpenter. for Iron Maiden. Oh yeah, but but most of the you know the the, 
the hair bands all had a power ballot. Sure. And, and that, that was, was like their big that Richard Carpenter did in 72. That's right. You're not telling me that Richard Carpenter is the fucking godfather superstar, of hair metal. Superstar was a great I'm power saying ballot. that he invented the power ballot. That's right. He conceived it. Really? Huh. I would right. say in my life is more of a, of a ballad. Than no, a, it's not a power black ballad. If you crank it up loud enough, it is. No, no. no. Goodbye, to, goodbye to Love by the Carpenters was the first ballad to have a fuzz guitar in it. I didn't know that. What song was it? Goodbye to Love. Uh, um, they, called I, in a, they called in a session player and they said, uh, we want you to do a solo here. So the guy was doing something really slow. And he goes, no, no, no. I want Richard Carpenter directed him to go crazy on the on the fuzz guitar. So it's it's kind of like the, the blueprint to the power ballad. Franco, okay. when you do your your decades of music on TikTok. Let's go back to 78 for a second. Besides Van Halen, okay, I just brought it up here. You have Some Girls by The Stones, Parallel Lines by Blondie, This Year's Model, Elvis Costello, Darkness on the Edge of Town, my favorite spring album. Um, I think that came out in 75. 75, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Devo, uh, Kate Bush, The Kick Inside, uh, Billy Joel, 52nd Street. Come on, man. This is Bob Seger, Stranger in Town. Who, the Who, who are you? This is an incredible, Great incredible album, yeah. year for, for, for music. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just No, but can you see how 75 was the, that was kind of the year I feel that like kind of woke up the, you know, woke up the radio because the radio was all like John Denver. And I love John Denver, but he was all over the radio. So uh, millions of records during that time period in the 70s. And there was really no, Rock and roll. That's well, wild. In, in 75, it was great. You know, like we said, physical graffiti, um, the best Pink Floyd album, I think, uh, Wish You Were Here came out. Queen, Not at not the Opera, Born to Run. This is a great, great year as well. Yeah. Toys in the Attic. Oh, my God. This is so good. This is such a good year. Sabotage. Elton John, Captain Fantastic. We this get is, it. We get it. It is a good year. It's this. I mean, you don't have these kind of years anymore. No, you know, you don't. I mean, honestly, it is rare because like now it's music is very different right now. Like I every Friday, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I go and see what what piece you're going to order. What's it? Well, that's true, too. Uh, It's only one place. But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I look and see what the new releases are. And that's been like my habit for the last 25 years you know what i mean so i'm always constantly constantly looking for something new and something different to to come out like i'm one of the concerts i'm really most excited for that i I have about 13 concerts lined up is post malone like i am really where's he where you gonna see him um msg real he's playing a venue that big yeah he sold out msg and he sold out prudential center in newark too very big very and he's a great dude too. He's a very genuine person. You can tell right away. What's your, what's your concert budget? I mean, let's talk about ticket prices for a second. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Uh, the most I spent, I think, ever for a ticket was Guns and Roses for when they came around. I think I was paying like a buck seventy-five a piece for those. Um, like, there's certain shows that I will like. I love a band called Toe the Wet Sprocket. I absolutely love them. Okay, great band. Nineties band. They're expensive. They're playing the, the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank has a it's a beautiful theater, by the way. It's an absolutely majestic theater. But next door, they have a very small venue called the Vogel and maybe holds 300 people. So like the front three rows are two hundred dollars a piece. Wait, are speak. they playing the Vogel? They're playing the Vogel. Yeah, they're playing a 300 seat venue. Yep. yep. And then tickets wow. are like, like 80 to 100 bucks a piece for most of the most of the venue. They, they can fill a bigger venue. Not anymore. Unless exactly. you have a bigger band with them, yeah. You know, a lot of those '90s bands do that. They were on Columbia Records. They had a couple of hits. They had a lot of hits. They had more than a couple. They had probably about seven or eight really big hits at this point. But I wanted to see them, but I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars for them. Melissa Etheridge, who I one of my all time favorites, I just I could not spend three hundred dollars to see her at Radio City. I, I just physically couldn't do it. You could have came to see her at St. George. They were expensive too. And mm. she, was, she did City Winery as well. They were $200 a piece. And Elton That's John, a great venue to see her, though. Yeah, it is. That would have been worth it. Elton John, with everything, was a buck fifty a piece. So oh, I will man. pay 150 to see Elton John any day of the week. 
But yeah, my budget goes a little crazy with. Uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, the one year I found I, my old, I found my Led Zeppelin. Uh, my sister found our stubs for Led Zeppelin in '77. I think it was like fourteen dollars. It's amazing, isn't it? Where was that? Madison Square Garden. Was that was that from uh, the filming of Song Remains? No, they the filmed same? that in '75. They filmed. Um, you know the song remains the same. There was no footage from that in that. That was their '75 tour, but we saw the final show of the Madison Square Garden uh, uh, five nights that they had. Wow. Certain shows like you, you wish you could have went to. You know, like I would love to have seen Led Zeppelin. I would love to have seen Black Sabbath in the '70s. I would have loved to have seen Guns N' Roses in '87. You know, so you, that's what I love talking about guys who are so much older than me, like you two. You get to, you get to hear, you get to hear there's, a really, there's a really cool story about Guns N' Roses. I forget the A&R guy who signed them, but there was like a lot of competition at Geffen Records as to who was signing the better bands. And this guy had, uh, man, I can't remember his name, but he had signed Guns N' Roses. They sold like 200,000 records and Geffen was going to drop them. And they were going to drop Guns N' Roses. And he's like, you can't drop them. They're going to sell millions of records. You get, got to get them on MTV. MTV didn't want to play them. So David Geffen called this guy at MTV and he said, can you give it a, you know, don't report it, just play it. They played one spin at four in the morning and that was it. Yeah. I heard the right of, of, of uh, Welcome they were to the Jungle. Yeah. Did you guys ever hear this story of, of uh, Paul Stanley and Guns N' Roses? No. Okay, so Paul Stanley was... Um, he wanted to produce Guns N' Roses and Slash was kind of like a little turned off because he had tried out for Kiss and was turned down because he was he was uh, too young at the time. He was 17 when he tried out. Um, Axel was kind of indifferent, really preferred not to uh, uh, do anything with with Paul Stanley or Kiss. But Stephen Adler was the guy who was like really impressed and wanted to do it. And out of respect to Stephen Adler, you know, they, they took a meeting with Paul Stanley. And Paul Stanley's recollection of the meeting was uh, Slash had like a, 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 a cigarette in his mouth the whole time. Uh, Axel was falling asleep, and the only one that was attentive was was Stephen. So they were playing a, a show in LA and it was a small private show and Paul comes uh, to, into the show and he goes behind the, the mixing booth and starts ch uh, changing the arrangement, you know, so fucking with the, um, with, 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 the, with the board and Axel was incensed and said, I will never, never do business with this guy again. And the thing that uh, Paul wanted to do, he wanted to change the arrangement of welcome to the jungle. Hmm. Riveting. Yeah. Anyway, so Franco, let's talk about um, your <laughs> such a joke. This is what I can't believe. I, I'm almost a hundred shows into this with this guy. How you see what I have to put up with? I know this somebody who knows she knows about music doesn't cut people off. It's a fucking hard <laughs> thing to accomplish. It really is. Because we guys, we gotta, we gotta get this stuff in. We have a show so, about the time. Here's what I want to get in. Okay, now one of the things that. Uh, me and Franco bonded on was our love of his favorite band. Uh, and we've talked about it before on a couple episodes. Um, yes, we've talked about it for a couple episodes and uh, nobody before is going to have as much knowledge about the Beatles as this guy does. So what was the first introduction uh, for you for the Beatles? You're going to laugh. Ed Sullivan. Always, tell me. You always tell me how old I am. I do remember them on Ed Sullivan. Okay, then that's not a bad. I remember standing in front of the TV. I was like five years old, and I saw them. I saw them on that song. That's a great. That's a great memory, though. It's a great memory. It's a great. Like my first. I remember my first concert was July fourth, nineteen eighty three. I was six years old, and it was Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, and the Stray Cats. And for years, I thought and it was the Stray the, Cats. And the Stray Cats were the opening band. Band, yeah. Oh. So I remember this vividly because it was a giant stadium. It was a it was 105 degrees. People were buying beer and just pouring on their heads just to keep cool. Like that's I remember this vividly. I get to meet Willie Nelson uh, the whole time. I think it's 1981. I thought I was four. Right. So I go bring my guitar. I get to meet Willie Nelson. And I'm saying, hey, I want to show you something really cool. It's a picture of me. Uh, at my first concert. It was July 4th, 1981, Giant Stadium. And he looks at me without blinking and says, no, man, that was 83. And I went, what? He goes, yeah, 81, 82 for July 4th. We were in Texas. 83, we came to Jersey. And I go, 
with all the pot you've smoked in your entire life, you vividly remember one show from 1983. He goes, I don't remember all of them. I remember that one. But I remember that. So like those, those memories, I don't make fun of like age and stuff like that when it comes to a memory like that, you know? My mom always told me she went to see the Commodores when she was pregnant. And as soon as the music started, I would not stop kicking the entire time. That was my first introduction, I guess, to music. Riveting. No. Um, <laughs> you yeah, fucking so, dick. So, so, no, so I see, you know, seeing them as you know, you. Seeing them on TV at that point, then listening to them, you know, as I was growing up, my brother, uh, who introduced me to a lot of music, um, including the band and, you know, the whole singer-songwriter era as I started to get older. Uh, but I was in a Beatles fan club and, you know, we had to take a test to get in it. And stuff like that. Wow, really? Yeah, it was just some guy in the neighborhood that did it. And then what kind of I just saw the last waltz for the first time, by the way. Like three weeks ago. Okay. And loved it. Absolutely loved it. I actually downloaded the whole uh, band discography. Yeah, have you seen it? Have you watched the I'm sure you've seen it, right? You guys can make? Yeah, the last waltz. Yeah, that Scorsese directed it. Yeah, yeah he's got a personal connection with uh, Martin Scorsese, by the way, Franco. He was in The Irishman. I don't know if you know that or not. Yeah, yeah, we haven't okay. spoken. We haven't spoken about that in a couple of episodes. Yeah, because maybe no one wants to hear about that yeah. fucking yeah, Franco, story. I was, I was in the movie The Irishman. You know, really? Did you see yeah. it? Did I see it? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't write the movie, but I was in it. He was. He was in a very pivotal scene, looking like like he was about to fucking shit his pants, stand next to Al Pacino the whole time. I actually said, I said this. I was like, you know, I'm going to watch this. Jeff's a good friend of mine. This is before the podcast. Jeff's a friend of mine. I'm going to watch this movie. And at seven hours in, when uh, his scene was on, I've done I've done three scenes that made well, it. the first the first scene at seven hours in is what I'm talking about. I'll never watch that movie again. Oh, it's, a, it's a great horrible movie. horrible movie that's why we won't go see the elvis movie you know i'm gonna get a digital download so you watch it you know yeah um, in pieces but like like when um i love when peter it. peter jackson's get back came out i you, you could ask him i literally waited for it to go on mm-hmm. and i watched i watched it bang 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 three days three in a row i don't know if you're a fan of horror movies but i will tell you i watched a horror movie the other night that was probably one of the scariest movies i've ever seen in my entire life called the black phone I don't know if you've seen the uh, advertisements for it, but yeah, it's, it's, these people, I know it's, it's, it's these people lose um, their regular phone. They have to use like a rotary phone and, you know, all kind of a mayhem ensues. Um, Twilight Zone. He's a comic, by the way, Franco. Don't ever judge him by that last fucking attempt at humor. Anyway, but yeah, very scary. So anyway, um, getting back to the Beatles. Um, what was the first Beatles album that you bought? Uh, Pepper. Really? That's it. And you work, did you work backwards? Yeah, I worked backwards. No, I didn't have to buy them. My brother had them. Oh, okay. What yeah. is your favorite era of the Beatles, too? Even though it's only seven years, do you go pre-Pepper or post-Pepper? Um, it, it's hard to say. I mean, I, and I like the early stuff, but I would say the, you know, the brilliance of Pepper and, and on is, is where I, I like them the most. Yeah. Rubber Soul, Revolver, do anything for you? Rubber Soul was a game changer. Um, you know, uh, no rubber sole, no, uh, pet sounds, no pet sounds, no pepper. That's argued all the time. You know, that when, when Brian, when Brian Wilson heard uh, rubber sole, he's like, yeah, I got to do something there, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're all game changers. I like them all. And what about the white album? You don't like the white album, huh? Sean? That's my favorite. It's my favorite album. Oh, I thought you didn't like it. No, my favorite album by the Beatles. Yeah, no. I like it. I mean, I thought I don't think that they were all happy with it, you know. No, it was Abbey Road that, that John wasn't happy with. Uh I like the White Album, you know. Um it, it's got uh it's got a lot of great songs on it. I think it showcased uh, you know, Eric Clapton playing guitar on Wild Night Targently, which is pretty cool. You know, it's the first time somebody ever played on a Beatles record that wasn't a Beatle, except for Billy Preston. I also feel that Helter Skelter is the origin the origin of heavy metal. People have argued that. People have said that. I really do feel that because before that, you really don't hear anything super, super heavy. Uh, and that when I heard it the first time, I was probably, I don't know, 12, maybe 13. And yeah. I was intimate. I was into metal, obviously, at that time. When I heard it, I was like, this is where everything came from. Jeff, where are you on that? You're a metal guy. What, what's your view? Uh, I hate to agree with him, but uh, I think he, he's onto something there. Uh, what I'm impressed with the Beatles is just the depth of their songwriting. and when. 
like I, a song that I just absolutely love. I just think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written in my life. Yep. And how old they were when they wrote that song. And then when you compare it to like songwriters of this era, it, yeah. you know, Lennon and McCartney to me are the the Mozart and, and Beethoven of of of, the, of that millennium. You know, they were just he wrote, when, I'm just, 60, he wrote when I'm 64 when he was 24. Right. I mean, it's yeah. it, it wouldn't even make my top 20 uh, Beatles songs. Right. But when you talk about in my life, to me, when the Beatles started writing about what their life was rather than what they wanted life to be, you know, like all the earlier stuff in my life was a real a song that people challenged, John, write something about your life. And that, I think, was a turning point in, in their songwriting. In my life, it's it's just it's just it's just so deep and so phenomenal. And I had I had just gone to see a um, a show uh, a couple of months ago. It was uh, fifty years ago today, and this was Todd Rudgren, Christopher Cross, Jason Schiff from Chicago, uh, Badfinger, uh, Denny Lane uh, was was all in the band, and uh, they were doing Revolver and Rubber Soul. And Rudgren did uh, in my life, and that was just who's really, to onto me, that I, fucking tour. Metamucil and fucking AARP. I was one of the younger uh, people. Here, I'll show you something from that tour. Oh God! All right, Adam, mute his fucking microphone. Kick him off the show right now, Adam. He's away from the computer. And what is this, Jeffrey? Um, it was at the St. George Theater, and this is a poster from the show, autograph by um, all six uh, members. Todd Rudgren, Christopher Cross, Jason Schiff, Badfinger, and Denny Lane. And let's say if you ever hard up on cash, you probably get about a good 10, 15 bucks on eBay for that. <laughs> the frame cost me more than that. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, to me, though, I... I, I Go ahead, Franco. I'm not going to say, I'm jumping here, but when you mentioned Chicago, uh, Terry Kapp, the guitar player, uh, came into my head. Where do you guys stand on Terry Kapp as a guitar player? I think one of the best. See, I'm I'm not I don't go deep with Chicago. I can I Jeff loves them and I don't I don't hate this band at all, but I'm I'm one of those uh guys who only heard them from the 80s on. Okay. So you know, like the hard habit to break, the Peter Cetera era. Like that's that's only Chicago. I really look away is an original member. Well, look away from me is an amazing song. I absolutely love that song, but I I don't know the older stuff. I really don't. No, but when you when you get into like that uh that early 70s Chicago, uh and you hear that guitar lead in 25 or 624, when Franco talks about a game changer, that's a game changer. I mean, it, 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 he if he would have lived, he, we would have been talking about Terry Kath in the same breath that we talk about uh, Mark Knopfler and and Eddie Van Halen. Okay. He was he was yeah. just way ahead of his time. It was just incredible, that voice. But his his. Is just the way he made that guitar talk during that song, and it wasn't just that song, but that's the song that, that kind of like st- stood out to me and really said, "I will be a fan for life." I went to go see them, and they performed the second album, which is kind of like a jazzy album, and that was also really, really good. Peter hmm. Hendrix was being really generous, but when he was asked, you know, what is how does it feel to be the greatest guitar player ever? And he said, you'd have to ask Terry Kath that question. Hmm. But I think he was being generous because he said that a lot of people. <laughs> Did he say that about Michael Nesmith? Hmm? You say that about Michael Nesmith when he opened for the monkeys? They were friends. Yeah. They were friends. That just I talked about that the other day on TikTok. It's like some of the matchups. Uh you know, um, like having uh, Jimmy Hendrix open for the Monkees. Who was the promoter that thought that would be a good idea? Right. You know? Another one of my favorite bands. I love the Monkees. Absolutely love the Monkees. Did you ever see Andrew? them? No, I never did. I, I mean, I never. I met hey. Mickey Dolenz one time, uh, and he was a raging asshole. Raging really? asshole. Yeah, because my old manager at the time decided he wanted to do like a a spoken word thing with like 60s and 70s music acts. So then he books Mickey Dolenz and Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. So he gives me tickets to go. There was literally 27 people in this place and it was a huge arena. So we go backstage and I introduce introduces me to Mickey. I'm like, Mickey, just want to let you know I'm a huge, huge fan. I don't fanboy out a lot, but, you know, your the TV show was great. I loved all your records growing up, even the newer stuff. And he just went. Hmm. And that was I it. Like, he didn't have any there in. 
Yeah, he was so he was really standoffish. Then I go to meet Peter Noon. My my old manager introduces me. He goes, uh, Peter, this is Sean. He's one of my clients. He's a great comic. I want to introduce you. He goes, you're a comedian. What kind of drugs do you have? <laughs> and that's exactly. And I said, I don't do drugs. And he went, you've broken my heart. And he walked away. I like how you did you like the way he kind of went in and out of the accent there, by the way? He started yes. off in a British accent, but couldn't commit to the character. Yeah, but it's, it was, uh, it's hot in my basement, Jeff. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> it's such a cool story on how Nesmith got control of the monkeys' music. Uh, being monkeys fans, you know that you know uh, they 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 finally got control of the music, and that was uh, you know all due to Nesmith and Torque is kind of constantly fighting for it. You know, he's now Mickey's the last standing one. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, he uh, he basically almost punched out Don Kirshner because Don Kirshner picked all the songs for the month and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the background singers and all that. Um, and uh, I just Nes- Nesmith was a true. I mean, he created MTV as the grandfather of MTV. You know that most underrated band of the seventies. Who do you think it is? Underrated. I don't think people really understand Boston. I think Boston was underrated. Why them? That's a great just, pick, but why? It's, a, it's the best debut album ever. No, it's not. Uh, yes, it is. No, it's not. You're going to say Guns N' Roses album, right? Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah. It's, it's right up It's right up there. But yeah, I, I, would, yeah. I still go with Appetite, but it's a good record. And I'm not a huge fan of Boston, but that's a, that's a solid record. Okay. I, I want to hear what Frank, why, I, I'm very curious to hear why. why I just didn't see a lot of, uh, you know, um, there was, there's not a lot of love for it when it came out from the, the people that I was with, the people that I, was, that I circled with. They liked maybe one or two tracks on the album. You know, um, most people that I knew weren't crazy about Boston. And I had to, like, really pitch it to them all the time. What a way to die, though, huh? Oh, Fred Oh, my God. That was, I mean, listen, you want to off yourself. Hey, whatever. That was a great freaking way to do it. I mean, you bring a, you bring a freaking... Uh, uh, a barbecue into your into your living room and you and you seal off everything and you turn the gas on. Like here's my thing: Why would you bring a barbecue in? Don't you have a stove? I don't get that. I never understood. It has to be a gas stove. Yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe you had an electric stove. I think maybe you just, solved, dude. I've been thinking about this for twenty years. I guarantee you, you just solved my my dilemma right there. Franco, what do you think about Kansas in the seventies? Uh, I like Kansas a lot. Again, underrated. I think. So do I. I was. I thought they had a not, I, I don't know. Um, you, I, I consider what un, underrated is when it doesn't uh, not getting a lot of the airplay, not a lot of attention, getting bad reviews, that type of stuff. You know, but I liked Kansas. I think the '90s had a lot of bands that I felt were very underrated. Like I had to mention Total Wet Sprocket before. I think they what were. Did you one think of them. was underrated from the '70s? Yeah. That I think underrated from the '70s. I, well, I think Kansas was. I think uh, another band that doesn't get enough love is I think Sticks. I think you know. I think they, I think they're a band that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. When you look at what they did in the seventies, you know, um, the album like uh, uh, what was the, the big one with uh, "Come Sail Away" on it? Grand Illusion. Grand Illusion. Yeah, great album. Uh, followed by "Pieces of Eight, which was was a, a great one. I mean, they had a lot of really good music. So I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm I would go with a band like Sticks. I'm gonna I go. Just, I'm on Thin Lizzy. I just talked with Kimberly, my wife. She hates sticks. Who is it, Kim? You hate sticks and Journey, right? Kim does not like sticks. Which is why I get along with Kim. (laughs) Well, Journey, they kind of like different incarnations of Journey. They were a progressive rock band. They then they wind up getting Steve uh, Perry, and then they really become more of a pop band after I think uh, Infinity. What about Steve Winwood? Is he underrated? I think he is. I think a lot of people underrated. He's right where he should be. Huh? He's right where he should be. Really? I think he's much bigger than he should be. I don't think he's talked about enough. I mean, he started when he was eight years old. He was 15. He was, you know, uh, he, he was, uh, he, he was performing live and Spencer Davis group. He was the Spencer Davis group. If we're going to talk about, uh, artists then who are who don't get talked about enough when when you bring up that conversation what about stevie wonder in the 70s i mean he has a couple of he has a couple of masterpieces you know songs in the key of life you know it's such a diverse album that's probably a top five album of all time for me 
Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but but you, when you, when you bring up top ten artists of, of all time, he's never even mentioned in the conversation. And and you know, you're going back to you know being a teenage prodigy. Yeah, I I, I I hate saying it, but I gotta agree with you. He really no, brought right. up a lot. He's he's brought up a lot in the R and B and the soul you know community and stuff. But as far as like mainstream, I, I have to agree with you on that. Uh, I want, I want to ask your opinion on this, uh, Franco. Um, one of my all-time favorite songwriters, I just want to know where you stand on Jim Steinman. I think, um, you know, th that was such a great pairing, Jim Steinman and um, and Meatloaf. And I think that uh, it, it was Todd Rundgren who really was the only one who got it after they shopped it and shopped it and shopped it. I think they created their own genre. It's almost like Harry Chapin, who, by the way, yesterday's the anniversary of him getting killed. But I can see his songs, you know? It's like when I listen to Harry Chapin's songs, I can see them. And I, I can do the same with Steinman. I can see those songs. And I think the two of them together was just phenomenal. I think Steinman was a genius. That's a great so, thing to say. You can see the song. I, I love saying the word sonic when I hear some when I hear certain things. Like it's more of like a, a whole cosmic thing coming at you. But when you can actually yeah. see the music, I, I I love that. I really do. It's like I talked with Don McLean about American Pie. I interviewed Don McLean. And um I was telling him, you know, that there are certain songs that you can see. And that's one that just like is a whole bunch of things happening in the world. And it's all happening. And you can just kind of see it going on while you're listening to him sing it. Want to hear a story? When I was a kid, my friend told me his sister wrote American Pie. And I believed it. As a kid, I was selling fake Michael Jackson autographs. And I spelled Michael wrong. <laughs> and it was in my handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I was dumber than you. I, you still I, are, Jeff. I believe I believed that this kid's sister who lived in Staten Island, that his sister wrote American Pie. I went to a, a girl, kid. I went to school with a girl's last name was Khan, and she convinced us that Shaka Khan was her aunt. You know, I, I, I understand. I, we all yeah. believed it. We all yeah, believe we're, we're not too, we're not bright men. No. <sighs> Franco, I want you to do this. I want you to tell me. Uh, and tell the audience where they can find uh, your show on TikTok. Okay, uh, anybody who's on TikTok knows is just everybody has a, a who's on has a page, and it's at Franco in the morning at F R A N C O in the morning. And uh, if you're into music in 60s and 70s, there's nobody that I know who can touch Franco as far as knowledge goes. Once you get into the 80s and 90s, I'll start taking yeah. over from that. Yeah, we just, it's funny because I have a lot of Gen X that follow me and they'll like uh, say, hey, do a piece on Van Halen. So I did, and, and I actually learned a lot about Van Halen. You got remember, I learn as I do these things that I research them and I tell my audience it's not the stuff I know off the top of my head. Um, I just have a way of being able to present it where they're like, oh my God, you know so much. So, well, I wouldn't have known if I didn't look it up. Like anything else, you have to, knowledge is knowing how to find sure. it. You know? um, but uh, I did a piece of, I did not know um, that it was uh, Gene Simmons that discovered Van Halen. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. Pretty cool. I did not know that. Uh, so I did a piece on Van Halen, did a really detailed piece on Bon Jovi. Um, and sometimes these things can take up to two hours to do, you know, sure. and it's not all at once. Like I'll get the idea of who I'm going to do and I'll start collecting photos and do some research and then, you know, all in, it might be like three days over, you know, you know, over doing a little bit here and there, but it's probably sometimes two hours work for a detailed one. <laughs> like I did Laura Nero today. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that takes quite a while. Oh, sure. So well, I gotta tell you, I am very happy with having you on the show. Finally. Uh, I'm going to introduce something new to the show, which I did not talk to Jeff about this. I'm just pulling mm -hmm. rank. Uh, I think what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a song that is extremely underrated, and we're going to give it to our listeners every week at the end of the show. And I'm going to start with this week. Jeff, you'll do next week. I found this song again after a long time hearing it with my mom in the car in the 80s, and I put on a Southern Rock playlist on Apple Music, which is the greatest thing that I've ever it uh, experiences Apple Music. Uh, it's a song called Third Raid Romance by the amazing Rhythm Aces. So if, you haven't, if you haven't heard this song, what is it again, called? it's called Third Rate Romance by the amazing Rhythm Aces. Now, when you hear it, you'll say, shit, I heard that song. And you heard it about 30 years ago and you've never heard it again. So next week is your turn, Jeff. You're going to you're going to pull one out of your ass. That's a, a song that you may have heard. 35 years ago, but you haven't heard since. Also, before we, we wrap this up, I, I got to, I, I want to say this to everybody. Um, so 
what I do when these episodes come out, I like to listen to them while I'm at the gym and I'm working out. And the last episode that came out uh, that I was just recently listened to was the Kevin Downey Jr. episode. Mm-hmm. I got to show you killed it on that one. I was I was like actually laughing out loud. I was actually LOLing. Frank, oh, I was high as a kite that episode. Oh, that was so I'm funny. Stone cold, I'm stone cold sober today. That yeah. was so funny. You killed it on that episode. Yeah, that was one, a fun one. That was a fun one. Props on that. I maybe, like you get high, maybe you should get high when you do the shows I book you for. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, because the last one was three years ago. Yeah, anyway. it's been a while. <laughs> Franco, thank you for having us uh, coming oh, on the show. He's a lot of fun. Um, we'll do this again, definitely. And do me a favor, don't ever book Jeffrey Paul for a show. You guys travel here together? So I would, have, I would travel with Jeff. Yeah, I would travel with Jeff for a show. Absolutely. Let's do a show. Let's do it. All right, guys. Right, Hit the subscribe button. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Thank you. My pleasure. Really, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye.